Bobby in on, on what was going on. I said, Bobby, he wants you to pray. Bobby, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. So Bobby, as much as not knowing much of a can't, he also didn't know many prayers to pray. So he reached into his back pocket, proverbial back pocket, to find the one prayer that he remembered as a child. And he prayed famously for what we're about to receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. So um, I just really feel that's a great prayer for me to pray before I preach or possibly for you to pray. So let's pray together. God, for what we're about to receive, no matter what it is, may you make us truly thankful. Some of you are like, wow, beautiful. Deep stuff coming from the pulpit here. So maybe while you turn, we're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 30 tonight. That's in the Old Testament. If you are unfamiliar with the Bible or you don't have a Bible, the scripture will come up behind me. We're going to read it together. We're going to get stuck in. And uh, I just want to say, before we read anything, I, the presence of God is here tonight. There was such faith. What a privilege. I get the best house in the sea to watch people worship. And I get to see God encountering his people. And I wanted to say, if you are foreign to church or if you are still confused about this Christian karaoke thing we do, singing to a screen, it's so powerful when, when, when not when we're just singing about someone, but we actually get to encounter him and meet him face to face. And I pray that you encounter God tonight in a real tangible way. Right, let's read together. Everyone around, you there? 1 Samuel chapter 30, just eight verses tonight. It says this. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. Sounds interesting. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Anna Noham from Jezreel, great name for children, just want to say, if you're pregnant, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abiathar, the priest, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You'll surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and the 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Bezel. Wonderful, eh? Very exciting. Let me bring you up to speed there. If you're going, what on earth is going on here? Uh, you're far into the Bible, or, you, or you're just trying to catch up and wake up from your afternoon nap. Let me bring you up to speed. There's this man named David. You may have heard of him from such tales as David and Goliath. Anyone heard of that one before? Good. Great. But uh, this story happens. David, a young boy, he goes and he ends up taking out the big Goliath of his day. It is the proverbial David and Goliath story. It's a literal David and Goliath story as well. The little guy takes out the big man, sets the nation free. The nation erupts in joy and David is the flavor of the month. After this happens, David is he is, the, he is a man. Everyone is singing his praises. Everyone is wanting to lift David's name up. He gets on the cover of Jewish Weekly. He's there on the cover. You know, beautiful, that was David's posture, I don't know. He was on all the red carpets. He was talking to Ryan Seacrest of the thing. And they said, David, what are you wearing today? He said, no, this is the, the latest of Jewish fashion. You know, David was, he was top of the pops in every single way. He was a guest on Jimmy Fallon. Sorry, I'm just using my imagination. But he went big. He was on Jimmy Fallon there. He, uh, Donald Trump was vouching for him, saying, I back this man and build a wall next to Mexico. Sorry, sorry. Just thought I'd throw that in there. 
I've been watching too much American politics. David, because of his success, they launched a new surf label after him, and it was called Giant Killer. Sorry, I'm just using my imagination. But he went big. David was big. He was big news in, in, in the town, in the city. People were singing his praises, so much so that he found favor with the king, a man named Saul. Saul said, you're, gonna, you're so big. You're so hot right now, David. You're moving into my palace. So David moved into the palace of the king. Not only that did he find favor with the king, he found favor with the king's son and became best mates with the king's son named Jonathan. On top of that, he ended up marrying the king's daughter. This is a good day at the office for David. Paychecks, just women, that's a good thing. It's a great, great day, if I say so myself. But this incredible story of this, this rags to riches story of David just booming, as fast as it went up, it tumbled down the other side. The man, King Saul, who, who, who invited him to the palace, all of a sudden, King Saul's ears start to listen to the crowds. And he found that the crowds were actually singing much more of David's fame than his own. They were singing a song that uh, probably goes to the beat of all about the bass, all about the bass, no treble. I'm just guessing. But it, went, it said the words were, Saul has, killed his, Saul, has, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And the crowd was singing this and cheering. And Saul, the jealousy in Saul started to rise up and he started to get angry and frustrated and jealous of this man. So much so it led to a moment where David was in the palace and, and Saul got so frustrated, Saul picked up a spear and flung it at David. David dodged, shoop, and he realized, duh, 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 brain went work fast. Said, Things have changed very quickly. So on the back of a spear being thrown, Jonathan, his best mate, the son of the king, runs to him. And I can imagine dramatically says, run. My dad will find you, and he will kill you. Played by Liam Neeson, of course. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching too many movies. But he says, run. So David runs, he, left, he leaves everything behind, and he abandons it, and he goes on the run. And what happens is if, if we, that we flick the pages very quickly, but for the next 10 years, a decade, a decade David spends on his run, hiding for his, fighting for his life from a mad, psychotic king called Saul, whose only aim, foreign policy be damned, I want him dead. Saul pursued him for 10 years. David ran and ran and ran, so, so much so that after 10 years, I bet he thought the throne that was promised to him, the throne that he is the, he is the next in line of the throne, it's rightfully his, that seemed a million miles away. David was at the lowest of lows. While on the run, I'm just telling you the background story if that's all right. While on the run, he uh, rescues a village. He's still a heroic character, uh, the tragic hero. If, if Shakespeare was writing this tale, he, he's, he's on the run, but he rescues a village called, called Kyla. He rescues this village and he, and he, from the Philistines. The Philistines are attacking him. He comes in and he defeats the Philistines and rescues them. And he thinks hero status again, possibly. But then word comes, maybe probably via Twitter. I'm just being silly. But he, he sees on, it's trending. Saul is coming to that area. Saul has heard that David's there and Saul's coming to take David out. He's heard rumors that David's there. So, so David says, but surely these guys who I've just rescued, they'll defend me. So David asks the Lord, and he gets an answer back from God. They won't defend you. They will hand you over to Saul. And again, David has to uh, pick up his, his things and bolt out of there. I can imagine his frustration arising. As uh, David, he moves to this place called Ziklag, as we read about now, that at Ziklag, a, a few chapters earlier, David, who is broken, who is distraught, who's, who's, I can imagine, is just so frustrated with the lot of his life, he ends up gathering around him a, a group of men. They called them, they end up becoming David's mighty men. You might have heard of them in scripture. 
but they became David's mighty men. But when David found them, the Bible describes them as men who were discontented, men who were in debt, and men... It's another D. Somewhere here, Thomas. They were disturbed. The Bible goes on and even says they are disturbed. This is your mighty men. Disturbed, discontented, and in debt. Sounds like a great troop of people. <laughs> Yay, it's only up from here. But David gathers them, and David starts to pour his life into these men. So much so that these men start to find strength. And actually, these men, if you go read the stories, a handful of these men ended up killing giants of their own. How phenomenal. So here's a quick aside, it's a freebie point. If you want to be a giant killer, follow a giant killer. Hang around with giant killers. Hang around with people who spur you on to greater heights. Just a free thought there. But this incredible thing, this group of men, they start, they start, um, they, they start to raid for the Philistines. So they realize Saul is not on their side. They, they're backed in the corner. So they start raiding for the enemy. Nice to see you, Andre. Very cool. Good friend of ours. You're late, though. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. But you are. Tithes and offerings. <laughs> Get the buckets in. But what happens is he starts raiding for the Philistines, the enemy. So David and his mighty men start raiding for the Philistines. And uh, they, they get a bit of infamy, a bit of success there. But then the Philistines start saying, listen, we're going to go and we're going to take on Saul. Just this crazy game of, game of thrones, game of war, whatever you want to call it. You don't know really what's going on. But David is now with the enemy. And the enemy is saying, we're going after your boss who's after you. And, and David says, cool, I'll come with you. And the Philistines, they even suddenly realize that they don't want David either. They say to David, actually, no, we think you'll turn on us. We actually, please leave. Can you take your men and go? It's been a bad day. As Bill Johnson says, it's a bad day when even the enemy don't want you. <laughs> David, a man scrambling for friends, and uh, he returns to Ziklag, and where we pick up our story, what we've just read, it says that he finds the village, their home, where they left their wives and kids and the, all their property and their, their, their things. They left them, the copies of the Jewish weekly that he was on the front cover. All those copies were piled up there. He gets home, and they find that it's burnt. The, the village, their home, is totally destroyed and, and looted by a tribe called the Amalekites, who've come, and they've taken all of the, the tribe, all of David's, David's company's women, all of their children, and all their possessions have been gone. They've been looted. He is so distraught. I don't know if you noticed that. He, he is even so distraught because he says he's lost his two wives. Tough life, eh? Sheesh. But he, he goes on, and, and I love the story because the story doesn't end there. The pain for this man, it starts to say that his mates, the guys he's poured his life into, his mighty men who have followed him to death, they've claimed, and they've, they've, probably, they've probably sworn lives together. They start to grumble, and they say they start to plot to stone David. He was rejected by his mentor. He was rejected by his people. He was rejected by the enemy. He was even rejected by his closest friend. His closest friend. A bad day at the office, if I'd ever seen one. And I, as I was preparing and reading these, this scripture over the last few weeks, this scripture and another, I, I really felt this for today and, and life change in particular, and tonight, that maybe you are sitting here and you feel that you've been on the run. Maybe just like Dave, Dave is on the run being pursued and you feel that you're on the run and you don't know where to turn. You've been, you've been on the run dodging and ducking your path for a long time, not knowing how to reconcile what happened behind you, but just always with one eye over your shoulder that if people found out. Or maybe you've been let down. You feel just like Dave, you've been let down by people. 
by people's promises to you, by a boss promising you a raise, promising you a promotion, never ever materializes. Uh, a dad promising you things but never coming through for you. Or maybe you just felt let down by life. I had dreams and now it's all gone. Or maybe you just feel another way beaten up, beaten up emotionally. Wave, it seems like wave after wave has hit you and you feel like a bit punch drunk, maybe like George Foreman after Muhammad Ali is stuck into you and you're just on the floor and you're trying to get up and another punch comes and Monday rolls over again and, and, and it's just, oh, the month end again, I have to pay bills again, I don't know how to get up and you seem to be fighting for your life. Maybe you're sitting here and that feels like your story. Or maybe you say, that's why I'm fine, everything's good in my life. I want to tell you tonight, I want to put a weapon in our hands a weapon from Scripture, and to see how David responds and see how we can respond likewise when we're faced with situations, whether you're in that situation now or whether you say, I'm not, I want to tell you, tough times are coming. I'm not a prophet of doom, but uh, as, as Matt Chandler says, you live long enough, you will bleed. It's a guarantee. <laughs> Life is tough. But the Bible promises us, he gives, Jesus gives us weapons on how to handle adversity, how to handle rejection, how to handle being broken. God gives us a weapon, and the weapon is called praise. This weapon is called praise, and I want to preach about it tonight, give us three points how praise can be a weapon and help us break the silence when everything in us is, wants to just retreat, everything wants to hunker down. God's calling us to break the silence and to begin to praise. Is that right? Everyone okay? Good, thank you. Good to see you all. Number one, three points. The first point, it'll appear behind me, is that praise brings perspective. Praise brings perspective. Let me tell you why. David, I think after that narration of a, the most rejected man probably in history, sounding like, this man David, he had every right to moan. I think we would all agree. He had every moment, right to you at that moment to say, I'm done. Stuff all of you owes. I poured my life into you all to every turn. I'm righteous. I'm, doing, I'm trying to do the right way. I'm trying to honor God. And at every turn, I seem to be hit down. David had every right to moan. And I can imagine that the Bible tells us there, it says that David, he went and he did something. He removed himself from this company of men. And in my head, I picture him going into a, a solitary place, just a little bit away. And... Uh, I can imagine David going to a tent, and I can imagine the people there grumbling, saying, when he comes out, we're going to stone him. And I can imagine saying, what's he, what's he doing in the tent? What's happening in the tent there? And, and I can imagine David possibly, if I was David, I would have been stewing. I would have been angry at the Amalekites for taking my wives, plural, and kids, and my possession. I'd be angry at them, but I'd also be angry at my mates. How dare they turn on me? Don't they know how much I've sacrificed for them? And I'm getting a speech ready to come out and, and fume and put a finger in their face and say, you... You would never have killed the giant if it was for me. You would never have done anything. You would have never, you know, I would have had the self-righteous speech. Am I the only one? I don't know, just my brain. Or I would blame or I would turn on God. God, how dare you? You promised me. Samuel said, I would have the throne. Look at me. A million miles from that place. But the Bible tells us David's response there. He thanked goodness we get a model that is not just of our own. David, who, who steps into this, this realm where he is so frustrated, his emotions are real, his pain is real, but the Bible tells us he does this incredible thing. It says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Wow. David, who had no mates, no, we preach about community, community is so important, but this man had no community left. 
He had nowhere to turn. And it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says this, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's a profound theme that starts to go. And if you have to ask the question, what does it mean to strengthen yourself in the Lord? I believe strengthening yourself in the Lord when you've got no strength within is to look without at him. To see him, the one who is stronger than your situation, the one who is greater, the one who is more than enough than what you've got in your empty tank. So I believe David started to praise. I believe in that moment when he strengthened himself in the Lord, David, a musician, a, a harpist, a man, a psalmist, a man who started to sing. He didn't feel like it, but he started to sing. And I, I can imagine that he started to sing, I don't know what song it was, maybe, when darkness sings to hide his face. It's true, I can't see his face anymore. It feels like I'm a million miles from God. But I rest on his unchanging grace. They want to stone me, kill me. I bet he started to sing this. Christ alone, cornerstone. I don't know if it was that song, but it was something like that, I believe. It's a song that was beyond himself, a song declaring the praise of his God, this incredible song. And I, I love this phrase that David, his perspective was bad. If we're all honest, his perspective, what he saw in front of him was bad. So he made a decision. He said, I don't want that perspective. I'm trading it for another. Do you know that you and I have authority to, train, to change and swap our perspective? We don't have to settle with the perspective that's been given to us by our situations. I want to tell you this right now. In, in Psalm 73, there's a man named Asaph, and he, he writes a psalm, and he writes a psalm that sounds exactly like how I pray a lot of the time. From verse 1 to nearly halfway through the psalm, paraphrase, you're going to read it at home, but paraphrase, Asaph is doing this. It's not fair! It's not fair! I'm such a good old God. I do all the things you tell me, and it doesn't go right for me. It's not fair. Fair. Sorry, that's an insight into my prayer life sometimes. <laughs> I'm honest. But I love it. He, he starts going, it's not fair. I'm righteous and things go bad. The wicked do everything destructive and it goes so incredible. It seems like everything goes well for them. They get all the gold. They get all the glory. They get all the girls. Paraphrase. <laughs> and he's like, it's just not fair. But he gets this pivotal point in the psalm halfway through. And it's this profound thing. And after his tirade of it's not fair, he says, it's not fair, but until I entered your sanctuary. It's like this pause moment where he takes a breath and says, but then I entered your presence. The second half of the psalm changes tone, changes appeal, and Asaph starts to declare the glory of God, and his perspective changes. I want to tell you right now that we don't praise God because he forgets who he is. Do you know that? God's not going, oh, lion and the lamb. Oh, it's nice to be reminded of that again. Oh, I forgot about that one because of the Holy Spirit. I like what you did with that one. No, he doesn't forget who he is. So we praise so that we don't forget who he is. We praise so that we don't forget who he is. It's a profound thing because I, I, I really believe that my worst enemy, do you know, if I'm very honest with myself, my own worst enemy actually isn't the devil. Can I be theologically as dodgy as that? I am my own worst enemy. I want to tell you, I've lied to myself more times than I would like to count. I've betrayed myself. I've gone back on promises more times than anyone else I know. I know I'm my own worst enemy a lot of the time. And I call this thing, sometimes we live in this realm of something called feelings. We live in the feelings realm. 
And, uh, and we, we, I really, I've started to say this and declare this over my life, that my feelings don't dictate me. My feelings don't dictate me. Because a preacher in Zimbabwe once taught me, in a very charismatic Pentecostal way, they said there's two times to praise God. Bless your son, bless you. Hallelujah, amen. Do I have a hallelujah out there? There's two times. When you feel like it, and when you don't. Can I get an amen out there? Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. And I tell you, that's stuck in my heart. There's two times to praise God when I feel like it and when I don't. This is so profound to me. And it shifted me because I'm preaching, when I say praise, I'm not meaning a method or a style. I said this morning, I think it's possibly worth giving us out here some advice. Stylist is good. We're not preaching on how you must worship or jump high or lift your hands or do this or do that. It's not about that. Although if you are a single girl, I want to let you know about the single girl hand wave. It's like, have a look at my single ring. I'm single. Show it to the guy behind you. Praising the Lord. Just a helpful hint. Single. There we go. Take it, leave it. Just a thought. But I want to tell you that praise, what praise actually is, Praise is setting our heart, taking hold of our hearts and taking hold of our eyes and fixing them on the, his victory and not on our battle. Our feelings say, give attention to your battle. But praise says, I give attention to his victory. That's what praise is. I want to tell you that feelings are a poor, poor master. They're a dreadful master, feelings. There's a, it'll be said in, 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 on, on television, you hear it often, promoted by self appointed theologians or friends, well-meaning friends will say it often, when you're trying to make a decision, you're wrestling with things, and they'll say, Andre, follow your heart. Can I tell you? Worst advice ever! Can I tell you why? Because Jesus says, follow me. He says, I am the one who leads you. You have a relational God, not a, not a, a mantra, you don't have a, a, a formula, you have a king who says, follow me. Can I tell you, Jeremiah puts it this way. He says, the heart is deceitful above all else. My heart gives me to lust. My heart gives me into temptation. I feel I deserve applause. I feel I deserve a break. And if I give into my heart, can I tell you, my marriage won't be happy. I follow Jesus. We're people who follow the king. So I want to tell you this incredible thing. When you look at David, David refused to follow his heart. He had every right to do it. I can imagine that moment, he had every right to follow his heart. But David in the Psalms, he gets this point where he actually prays these Psalms. He says this to his own soul when his soul is getting filled with muck and heavy. He says, awake my soul. I think that we need to be people who learn to talk to ourselves a lot more. We need to remind our souls that they need to awake and praise God. Because our soul and our hearts tend like a bowling ball to go to the gutter. Ugh. Uh, but God has called us with purpose, and he wants us to change our perspective. I want to say our circumstances don't determine our praise. Your praise determines whether your circumstances become your prison or your passport. Your circumstances can either be your prison and hold you captive, and you sulk and you moan about that for the rest of your life, and you never shake out of it, or your circumstances can become your passport, either confine you or release you into a greater story. Our circumstances don't determine our praise. Number one, praise brings perspective. Number two, praise brings, brings purpose. 
Praise brings purpose. How you view it, what perspective you have, what, how you view it allows God to use it. How you view it allows God to use it. I can imagine David in this moment, in the tent, God in there, sulking, stomping his foot like a, a, a little six-year-old kid saying, this is not fair, I can't believe they're all turning against me and throwing his hands up in despair. He could have said, this, this thing, God, you know, he could have even got so, so spiritual. God, this is slowing your work down. I was on, on a roll. I had the lion down. I had the bear. Goliath was next. You know, he, he was smashing and taking them down one by one. He said, you know, if, if, if I was king, God, I would have brought this nation back to Israel. You know, he could have gone, he's like, reason could have taken over and said, God, you know, you, I'm your man. You promised me your throne. And so no, but David didn't, didn't do that because he strengthened himself in the Lord because when our perspective changes, we realize that every circumstance that comes our way has the potential of serving God. Did you know that? There's no circumstance that you face that cannot serve God, no matter how terrible it is. I dare you. Come and tell me the worst thing that has ever happened. I want to tell you that thing if we hand it to God, can still be used for his victory. Good preaching. Thank you, Bronte. Uh, the scripture tells us that what the enemy planned for evil, God is purpose for good. And we need to praise, reminds us of these things, because we too quickly forget that it's not, that we think we forget that it's all about us. We think it's all about us. But it's not all about us. The story doesn't end with David. The story, God is, David's not God's man because God is so enamored with David. He knows that David is alive for a purpose for his generation. And I want to say sometimes we might seem chained. I don't know your story where you are, sir, ma'am. You might be sitting and you might feel imprisoned by your situation. You feel chained. The good news is that you may be chained, but he never is. God is never chained. I love it. My a story of this was uh, my dad, when we moved from Zimbabwe to Durban um, about 12 years ago, we moved from Zimbabwe, we had, many, uh, we had, we had a large property, life was good, and, and my dad had worked and toiled at the age of 20, he had bought the home and he had built it himself, and it was a beautiful, beautiful home, and he had this job, and he had connections, and, 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 and life was good and easy. Then the story in Zimbabwe happened, and we had to leave to go to Durban, and uh, we, we, we were able to, we sold our property, and the money was taken Properties was taken from us, and we ended up moving to Durban. My dad was a, a male, a 50-year-old male with no connections, arrives in Durban, knows nobody, and nobody knows him, and nobody cares. He's putting his CV out, CV's being rejected, not hearing back, not hearing anything. For nine months, my dad um, could not get a job, and we had to live uh, for over a year in people's granny flats, one-bedroom granny flats in the back of people's homes, in their gardens. The generosity of a community actually looks after us. But we got there, and my, I remember seeing my dad wrestling with this, an acre property to nothing. No job. No one wants, no one wants me. What have I built? Everything I built is gone, like, like sands through the hourglass. Sorry, I was getting too soapy, he said. <laughs> like sand through his fingers. He, it was, life seemed to have gone like this. And, and I remember my dad, if you're honest, he, 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 he went and he started, it was the dark night of his soul. This was a moment for him. And uh, we... I could feel, I could see that he was going into a depressive state and, and it was very, very tough for him. But I saw a man, an incredible man, my father, take hold of his heart and start to worship God. He praised God. Not, sometimes it wasn't convincing. Sometimes he, could just, he just sang, sometimes he just read the Bible in the morning. But my dad strengthened himself in the Lord ongoingly in that year. He struggled through it. It wasn't easy. It wasn't all victory and yay, I'm the head and not the tail. No, it was tough. But he strengthened himself in the Lord. And can I tell you the incredible thing was? 
15 year old boy was watching. This 15-year-old boy saw a man take hold of his emotions and take hold of the call of God and remember the purposes of God and start still lead his family, not abdicate his responsibility, but say, God, you still have things for us and hold on to God even if it was by the fingertips it seemed at times. I was watching and can I tell you, that year, I believe, changed the trajectory of my life, changed what God had for me because my father stood when he could have just said, I'm done. It's a profound thing. From that moment, we had, there was a family who we, we, lived, we lived in the granny flat. They had two boys who were insecure, very complex, very socially inept boys in their, in their junior school years. They had been bullied repeatedly. They didn't like school. They hated school. They didn't hate the church, but they didn't want to be around people. And they were watching. And I became friends with them. And, and as we started to become friends with these guys. And, and I started a small home group with them. And, uh, and they invited, we invited some other friends around, and, and people, they started to get love. These two boys, years later, they're in their 20s in New Zealand. They're both involved in worship at their, at their church in New Zealand. One of them has done Bible college, and both are secure in the promises of God. And I go, I don't know what God was doing. But I tell you, praise brings purpose. There's another story of a man who is coming to our men's camp on the weekend, and he tells a story that he... He was living the, the, the way that God has, but in his heart, he went after his heart. He stood a 180, and he just said, to, to hell with it, literally. And he went down the, the deepest holes, the deepest gutters that he could think of. And uh, he was in debauchery, in adultery, in brokenness, in, 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 in drunkenness, and he was literally in the gutter. And, uh, and it took a man who went and fetched him and took him back to the local church and dragged him, probably kicking and screaming, back to the church he was a part of, a church just like this. And, it, and for four years, this man sat quietly at the back, arms folded, as the people around him sang and worshipped. Black man on his left, white man on his right, old lady in front of him, young person who just stewed student loans in front of him, foreigners who had no passport. This a community just like this of people in their own battles, but people who were worshipping and worshipping, praising God. And this man, four years later, after seeing no one knew him in the community, kept quiet. Four years later, after being restored and God doing a work, he was about to go out and, and plant a church. And he stood on the stage and he said these words that, that, that haunt me in a beautiful way. He said this, he said, while you worshipped, I've been healed. He said, while you have worshipped, you don't know me, but I've been healed. And I believe this is a profound thing that, that we forget that our praise brings purpose. Our praise ignites things in people again and ignites in our own hearts. I love the story of David. David comes out of the tent after strengthening himself in the Lord. He comes out burning with purpose. Go read that text again. He comes out and without skipping a beat, he stands up and he, and he could have blamed, he could have been angry, he could have said, I'm sorry. He gets up and says, men! A speech that is better than any Braveheart moment. He said, men! Let's go get our women and children back. Hey, that's profound, eh? What a great speech. But he said, let's go get them back. And he, he rallied these men who were losing their plot, who were losing the plot of uh, people, a company of men who had fought so hard, who were ready to retreat. He said, men, we're going to go back and get what is rightfully ours. And he leads them back, and they go and defeat the Malachites, get their families back. And it's just a few chapters later, David is king and on the throne. A pivotal moment, a pivotal moment where he could have gone left or right, and David said, I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord. A profound, profound thing. And I, I, I love this because... I think we've got default settings that settle in our hearts. When I mean default settings, things that, that we always tend to go back to. We had a TV, an old box TV, that uh, whenever I turned it on, it was fuzzy. So I had to program it, stand there and work for ages, program, 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 to find AV, and there's the TV. Ah, oh, good, we've got some channels now to watch. 
But then my wife would come and turn the TV off. And I'd be, no! Back to default settings, it kicked in, it was back to fuzzy. Had to start again and start again, the whole process. Every time you turn the TV off, it would go back to default settings. And I think the same with us, so often our heart does that. Am I right or am I the only one where so often I keep going back to the thing I do or the thing I know, the easy way out. I keep going there and God says, I want to reprogram you and put new default settings. Default called praise. That when my back's against the wall, my default isn't to shrink, isn't to cry, isn't to, to fall apart and blame and get angry and, and not know where to turn. My default is to praise. Lift my eyes. And let purpose grip my heart again. Let's take hold of this weapon tonight. Thirdly and finally, praise brings perspective. Praise brings purpose. And thirdly, praise brings power. How you view it allows God to use it. And then he can bring you through it. It rhymes, so it must be true. I want to tell you David's new perspective and his renewed purpose led his men to war and victory and onwards back to the palace. Things changed in an instant. There's a story of a man that we know and love named Sid Jolson. He's a, an elder up at Glenridge, and, and he tells a story that uh, he, he said he went through his own dark night of the soul, a brokenness where, where he just could not shake. Depression started to come upon him the, 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 like a black dog just coming and enveloping him, and he didn't know how to get away from it. And depression gripped his heart, and anxiety and fears and abnormal uh, fears were gripping him. And he didn't know where it came from, didn't know what was doing it, and he didn't know how to break free of it. So he decided one day to pick up the weapon of praise. And he walked into his garage, he shut the door, and he started to sing. And he probably started just down here, you know, throwing frisbees, you know, this type of worship. Then he probably moved into a single girl worship. And then he, he started to sing, and courage started to warm his heart. And he started to sing about the God that he knew. He prayed. He took his eyes and his heart and he fixed them on his victory, not on his battle. And he started to sing and he started to sing. And joy started to flood his being. And he started to praise. And he started to declare who God was and the victory. God's, the power of God started to come. There's another story in Acts chapter 16 that talks about Paul and Silas who were thrown in prison. Similar story of David. They had, they had only done good things and then un, unfairly treated. They're thrown in. They're stripped. They're beaten. They're thrown in prison. They stuck there, and it says, at about midnight, Paul and Silas started to praise. They started to sing. They started to declare, and it says, the other prisoners were listening. The other prisoners were listening and hearing and seeing what, what is going on here. And then it says this, this profound line. It says, a mighty earthquake happened. God intervened. The, the, the seemingly natural response of our hands lifted up met, met with a supernaturally powerful God. And a God shook everything that could be shaken. The jail cells cell shook. The prison doors sprung open. Their, 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 their chains came loose. And every prisoner was set free. Is that just a story? Or is this the truth of what God does when a people begin to praise? I, I believe as I come into land, our chains don't break our praise. Our praise breaks our chains. And, and yeah, I, I believe this is wartime language. I, I read the story of David because it's wartime language. We often, I, and forgive me for saying this, but I think we sometimes feminize worship. We think that the, the ladies will sing and the men will stand back. But I want to say, this is, this is our moment. This is our gift. God gives us a weapon to take hold of and to, to, to bring perspective, purpose, and power. God gives us praise to take hold of it. This is wartime language. And praise is a wartime weapon. So much so in, in, in the Old Testament, the, the, 
the strategy of the Israelite people, when they were on the move and they were going to advance into enemy country, they sent out the tribe of Judah first. Now why that is profound is Judah means praise. Yes, sir, ma'am, if you're in a war, if you're in a battle, I don't know what it is, emotionally, physical, financially, relationally, spiritually, you just, you, uh, you, you're wrecked with guilt and addictions and you don't know how to turn, you're wrecked with, with fears and insecurities, you're in a war, it's time to send out the tribe of, pray, of Judah. Send out the tribe of Judah first, send out the tribe of praise, and God says, praise brings power. Tonight, I want to give us an opportunity to pick up this weapon. We're going to get together. We're going to sing, if that's all right. We're going to land this evening singing together, but not just singing words as a Christian karaoke group, going through the motions. We are going to people. We're going to lift our hands. We're going to look to God. We're going to lift our eyes and fix our hearts on His victory, not on our battle. No one's going to come and lay hands on you and pray for you. But I believe as you take hold of this weapon, whether it's for now or it's for a future day, and you put it in your back pocket and say, God, would I be reminded of this when I face battles? God is going to come and he's going to bring a new perspective on your prison cell. He's going to change it to a passport that's going to release you into the purpose he has for you, and he's going to interrupt your story with extreme power and set you up for victory like you've never known. Let's pray, and then we're going to worship. I'm going to ask the band to come up behind me. Father, I pray for us as a people tonight, as we worship you, as we speak about you, as we sing, as we make much of you, God, as we talk about David and we talk about these points that praise brings perspective, praise brings purpose, and praise brings power. I pray right now, Jesus, that you are going to grab a hold of our hearts. We open our hearts and say, Jesus, come and have your way. Come and have our way. Can you stand to your feet? We're going to sing. We're going to sing. We're going to make much of Jesus now. This is a moment if you're in prison, if you're feeling uh, beaten, stripped, you're feeling imprisoned, you're feeling nowhere to turn, you've been on the run, you feel you're guilty, you don't know what to do with this thing. I ask of you tonight to pick up the weapon of praise. David said of him, he strengthened himself in the Lord. Tonight, lay before you life and death. Choose life. Pick up this weapon. If you have strength that's enough to lift your hands, do that. If you have strength inside, you say, God, I'm gonna, I want to I wanna dance. If you say, I want to sing and lift my voice, whatever the, the, the physical response is, give him your heart. Place your eyes on his victory, not on your battle.